Good morning. Hey, welcome to those of you viewing online. And um, I appreciate the worship team and I appreciate Nick talking about standing upon Jesus Christ as our solid rock. And that we are sustained by him and our identity is in, in God. And so uh, we're talking about that a bit today. Today our talk is entitled Wrestling with Pride. And um, if you're online, you can download these on our Facebook page, Life Church MH, and or on our website to track with us this morning. Um, who is the meekest person in the Bible? The meekest, most humble. Yeah, so Jesus, number one. <laughs> Moses, we are told in the Old Testament, he was the meekest man of his time, meekest. Um, so there's a couple examples for us. And I, was, I would think that David also was, um, did a good job. Um, Joseph, Daniel, definitely we can tell. Uh, David wrote this psalm, Psalm 131, and I really have appreciated it over the past few months. <clears throat> Especially 2020, everything that's going on and, and um, all the discussions and debates that are out there. I appreciate David, king of Judah. As king, he wrote this, right? He said, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I've calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, now and always. Isn't that a good one for us to hang out on? And so the last few months I've been, I've been saying to myself, I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome, too profound for me. And that's not that we're not diligent and that we don't seek to know and, and be growing wisdom and knowledge and understanding. But um, there's a time and there's a place when we defer to the Almighty. And um, he reigns above it all. He reigns above it all. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. David could say that. Pride is a grievous sin. It can be extraordinarily glaring and flagrant, yet inconspicuous. Because it's so deceptive, we're obvious, often oblivious to our pride. And when we're talking about pride this morning, we're not, we're not talking about doing a good job on your work. And you should be proud of the job you did if you did your best. And, um, or doing the right thing, telling the truth instead of lying. You should be proud of that. But he's talking about something here, David, when he says, My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. He's saying that he does not feel comfortable making great decisions without asking God. He doesn't rely upon his personal wisdom, his experiences, his strengths, his skill sets, above or beyond that of his dependence upon the Lord. He recognizes that God is the giver of opportunity and resources and life, of cognizance, of strength, air to breathe, and lungs to utilize the oxygen. The Bible instructs us to uh, make our plans. It instructs us to be diligent. But there is no such thing as a self-made man, self-reliant. Think about it. Where, where did you, uh, who's, um, who's happy that they weren't aborted in this room? 
you know what, you were really smart not to be aborted. You know, that was, you were thinking with that one. Or we think uh, we're born with a mind or a body that worked. Um, who in here has been killed by a drunk driver? How smart are you not to get killed by a drunk driver? Have you lived through a civil war before? We haven't. Have you endured widespread famine? Or do you have a grocery store down the street? Have you had five, stage five cancer? And, and the, the think about it, these things are just, obviously these things are outside of our control and there's so much outside of our control. And David was aware of that. He said, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great for me. He's saying, God, I know I'm not all that. I know my place. My place is, is that of a weaned child next to his mother. I've been nourished. My strength has come. I've been protected. My life is given me. The strength I have is from my mom. I'm confident. I'm comfortable. I'm confident in who I am being my mother's son. And, and David's referring to God. My soul is as a weaned child with God. He says, hope, O Israel, in the Lord. Today we're just talking about nuances of pride, and it's all shapes and fashions and forms and a thousand different sermons that could be spoken of, and we'll just talk about four distinct things that we can become aware of today in regards to pride. And, um, and just preface to that, there's, um, we often have some difficulties vacillating between two different identities. One identity is, I'm no good, I'm worthless, um, I don't have any value. I can't do anything right uh, on one side. And then on the other side, it's, it's I'm all that and a bag of chips. And I'm the greatest and everyone else is losers. And, um, and so there's these two identities and both of those are incorrect as a child of God. Yeah. Uh, both of those are out of bounds. Thinking little of oneself is not being humble. Um, it, it's belittling what God has made. Genesis, we read he's made us in his image. We have intrinsic value, uh, immense worth and value. And at the same time, we can't function well without God. Uh, it's like a hairdryer that you, you have to, it's, it's a great hairdryer. It's worthless and useless unless it's plugged into the source. And when it's plugged into the source, then that power flows through it. And the energy and what it's created for um, happens. <clears throat> for those of you who dry your hair. A 1955 Chevrolet without gas doesn't accomplish anything at all. And uh, we are great not <clears throat> because we're large and in charge or self-reliant. We're great because he made us, he loves us, he has a noble purpose for us. Uh, some people say, I don't have a problem with pride. I'm actually, I'm actually very shy. And shyness, and that's me, um, same thing. People are often self-absorbed. We care about what other people think about us. And um, we're too worried. We, maybe we don't step out in, into some in the, in the public sphere out in the community or stand up for things that we should because it's pride of how we're going to look or how we're going to appear. If God wants us to step out and do something, it's often pride that keeps us from obeying. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less. 
I remember hearing that one and being very convicted. A humble person's mind is occupied with thoughts of God's love for them. Their mind is occupied with ideas of how to please God, how to help others. Just not much time or thought given to worrying about self. Talking about Moses and, and Jesus, the pinnacle, and David. David knew that God loved him, that his worth and purpose came from God. He saw himself as a nourished child, completely satisfied and confident in the Lord. He'd calmed and quieted himself. Because he was not prideful, he was able to be courageous. Because he was not prideful, he was able to resist taking vengeance on Saul. Because he was humble, he was able to accept correction from the prophet Nathan. Uh, listen to this. Godly boldness and godly self-restraint, they're both linked to proper humility. If you are prideful, you'll not have godly courage. If you're prideful, you'll not have godly self-control and restraint. David says, put all your trust and reliance in the Lord. Put all your eggs in God's basket. Seek the Lord and obey him fully. Set your heart upon the things above. And today we're going to talk about one of the things that gets our eyes off of that and takes the eggs out of the right basket. And so number one in your notes today, uh, pride leads to destruction. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before fall. And the next proverb goes, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Proverbs 29, 23, pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You want to play king of the mountain with God? Arrogance is faulty footing. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Thinking we have it all together, it's, it's like fattening ourselves for the day of slaughter. Acting in pride is essentially acting apart from God or usurping God or his law or his plan or his counsel. It's resisting his help, his correction, his love. It's to play the part of God ourself. I thought about... Um, um, sometimes my kids, they try the role reversal on me and they want to, they try to call the shots. And, um, and so it's, it's, we should have 20 Tootsie Rolls for breakfast or we should never sleep again. And a lot of other profound ideas that I've never thought of. And, and they, um, and that is, that is, must be what we look like to the Lord. Nuances of pride. Um, tested with hardships. I think we've all been tested with hardships to one extent or another. And, and we know well the stories. I mean, those always make great movies. Tested with hardships. And those are our favorite Bible stories because Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He's thrown in prison, wrongfully accused, put in prison. And yet we see him persevere his heart doesn't grow hard and resentful and bitter but he 
entrusts himself to the Lord, and the Lord exalts him in due season. And we think of David, who after showing loyalty, great loyalty and courage before King Saul, the sudden Saul is jealous of David and is out to kill him, and he's a fugitive from his own country, trying to survive and live. And yet his heart doesn't grow hard and calloused and bitter, but he conquers the test of hardship. He trusts in the Lord with all his heart. He leans not to his own understanding. In all his ways, he acknowledges the Lord. The Lord directed his steps. Think of the Apostle Paul. He under, underwent numerous beatings and imprisonments and shipwreck and uh, floggings, stonings for communicating the gospel. And his heart doesn't get hard. He is compelled by the love of Christ to be an ambassador, to tell people about Jesus Christ and what God has done for us. And so these guys all passed the test of hardship. There's another test. It's the test of success. The test of success. And how often do we hear or see the movies about the testing of success or the books? How often do we hear the sermons about when you win the big game, then do this? When you get the promotion or when you land the big job, then do this? When you ace the test or the class or when you get recognized for something big or when you've given a very successful speech or you've sung that song so perfect, then do this and arrange your life in this manner. All of us will be tested with hardships in life. There's another test that's equally, if not more difficult for many of us, and that's when we're tested with success. I remember vaguely, and I don't have it quite right, but I remember Rick Warren talking about people getting tested. And he says, when people go through hardship, they cry out to God. Well, some of them just grow bitter and run from the Lord. But he said, a lot of people, it's not hard to cry out, God, help me. And they seek the Lord and they turn to the Lord. And he says, but where do people turn when there's health in the body, peace in the mind, and money in the bank? Who prioritizes time with the Lord when you don't need him, when you're doing all right on your own? Who seeks the Lord's will when you can plan your own will? And he says, um, I think he said something, where do you go when everything's going well? You go on vacation. <laughs> and um, some truth to that. Today we look at numerous accounts within Scripture, and, and if we have time, otherwise it'll be two. Two instances in particular. But in Judah, there was a, success, a succession of 22 kings. And it is fascinating if you study those kings, and you can study the kings of Israel, you can see the wrestling of pride in every single one of those kings. If you're reading between the lines or you're looking behind the scenes. And usually you don't have to look very, very far or very hard. Just incredible. Comes flying off the page at you. If you read Second Chronicles, you'll get the whole list of the kings of Judah and you'll see each one wrestling with that. Number two in your notes, pride stems, and I wish you would have wrote the word, coincides with deception. Pride stems from deception. It coincides with deception. Our first main passage today is going to be in 2 Chronicles 14, and it goes through chapter 16, and it talks about the life of King Asa. And in 14, we read about King Asa. He did what was pleasing and good 
before the eyes of the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. He purged the nation of idol worship. He helped the people live for God. In fact, when he was tested with hardship, um, an army twice his size came to make war with him. We see him relying fully upon the Lord. And here it is, 2 Chronicles 14, 10 through 11. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah at Merishah. Then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. So Asa, he wasn't shirking his duty. He put the men out in, in, in battlement arraignment. Uh, he was diligent, but his ultimate confidence was fully upon the Lord, not as in his own strategy. And God granted Asa great victory. In fact, the fear of God came upon the enemies. Skip a couple chapters, and we see, and in between those chapters, a prophet comes to Asa and says, if you um, seek the Lord, he will be found by you. And as long as you are with the Lord, he will be with you. And it says that all of Asa's successes were stemming from, coming from the Lord. And, and God gave him rest all around for 35 years. And now, um, in the 35th year of his reign, 36th year of his reign, again the nation of Judah is threatened by a neighboring nation, this time Israel. But this time we see no inquiry of God, rather Asa sends for help from Ben-Hadad of Assyria, or Aram. And here we go, we pick it up, 2 Chronicles 16, 1 through 3. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and, the fortif and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Asa then took the silver and the gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and out and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Pride reveals itself when, A, in your notes, we rely on our own wisdom, strength, and resources. Different from the first go-around, Asa Instead of seeking God and asking of God, inquiring, he thinks of a clever plan. Ask the guys, he's thinking outside the box. He's probably quite proud of himself of thinking of something so strategic. This was strategic. The nation north of Israel, if he could, if he could pay them off and they cut their alliance with Israel or they attack Israel, turn on him, that would be fantastic. They would withdraw, he would be safe. That was, that was a smart move. Friends, God is not impressed with the wisdom of man. God is not impressed. Do not place too much weight on your good ideas. And I think to myself, and the best, the most certain, best, clever, strategic ideas I've had in my life were not very good. 
<laughs> in fact, it's the time when I was at a loss and I was just trusting in the Lord when I found God to provide for me in distinct ways, specific and special ways, or protect me. Some of my best foolproof ideas have been tragic and a source of great sorrow in my life. Asa used money that had been given to the church, to the temple, for ministry work for the poor. Asa rationalized, this is a good reason. This is a good reason to use the church money. It's, it's going to protect our lives. It's going to save our nation. And when we begin to justify our stance or decision, we might be dealing with pride. If we think we can go outside of God's instruction or compromise on his laws and still experience his blessing in that area of our life, we are deceiving ourselves. I know God's word says this, but I was feeling like your feeling wasn't God, right? It wasn't God. I just talked to a man yesterday who was dating a girl, and, um, and so I knew I had to ask him, and I said, he's a Christian man, proclaimed, and I said, Are you date, is she a Christian? And he said, no. And I said, and I hate to have to say this, I'm, so, I'm not a confrontational guy, I'm like, it's not going to work right. And that's all we said. He knew what I meant. He said, it's not going to work right. God doesn't operate that way. We need to trust and obey God and not play God. And Asa began playing God. Yeah. He began playing God. Look what happens next in 2 Chronicles 16, 4 through 6. Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. They conquered John, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Bashar heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. Then King Asa brought all the men of Judah, and they carried away from Ramah the stones, the timbers Bashar had been using, and with them he built up Geba and Mizpah. See, it was a good idea. Asa had a clever, strategic idea because he was very smart, and it did work, and it was awesome. It was better than awesome. They went, and they took all the resources of Israel that they were trying to use against them, and they built two cities from it. Win. Wrong. Everything seemed to work out so well. Asa came out on top, successful strategy, but he had left his true source of success the Lord God Almighty. Same with you and I, initial success many times will be seen because, because we can buy our way out of trouble or because we can schmooze our way out of trouble. We're good talkers. Or because we can work our way out of trouble, we'll just pick up a third job. Or we can run away from our trouble and we run away and it's gone. It's not bothering us anymore. And so we're doing well. And that's a pattern for many people. But Proverbs 16.25 says there's a path before each person that seems right. But in the end, it leads to death. It ends in death. And we can live life our own way. And we might succeed. And we might succeed in the world's eyes. But we will have missed who and what 
we were made for. Man, I bet, I bet the guys of Judah were like, Asa, you're the man. You are the man. We just, you gave money to Syria, and we just got that much money back by running up and taking it all away from Israel, from Ramah. Like, you, that was awesome. And they probably made songs, and he was probably in the news. Person of the year, Asa. I bet the praise went to his head. What do you think? He must have accepted their praise. He did, actually. We'll see that later on. But pride is revealed when, B, we receive the praise of people. We accept the praise. We receive the praise of people beyond measure. It reminds me of a very blatant story. In the New Testament, in Acts uh, 12.21, where the leader, it was Herod Agrippa, it says this, an appointment with Herod was granted, and when the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, he sat on his throne, and he made a speech to them. I think this is the people of Tyree. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, it's the voice of God and not of man. And this is the Greco-Roman time period. This is the voice of God, and it must have been an amazing speech. What do you think? It had to be amazing. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. Not the way you want to go. Not the way. That might be worse than COVID. I think it is. But it feels so good to be recognized and appreciated and esteemed. And it feels good to share the stage with God, doesn't it? Or even usurp God or leave him out of it and receive the praise of people. The adoration, but be careful, praise inflates us. Unrealistic sense of self-worth and ability. We might begin to think that we're worthy of it in and of ourselves. Proverbs 27, 21 says, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. Whoa, mercy, mercy me. Fire tests the quality of precious metals to reflect the true value, what is actually left after the testing and one day we will stand before the Lord and we'll give an account of our life. And in that day, the accolades of men and the trophies and medals will mean nothing for we will be seen for what we really are. We continue in Second Chronicles 16, verse 7 through 9. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to King Asa and told him, Because you have put your trust in the king of Aram instead of the Lord your God, you missed your chance to destroy the army of the king of Aram. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and Libyans and their vast army with all their chariots and charioteers? At that time, you relied on the Lord and he handed them over to you. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What a fool you have been. From now on, you'll be at war. Pride stems from deception in that we see, forget history and context. 
This might be our biggest problem. This might be it. What once was acknowledged as God's victory, over time, we begin to minimize it. Over time, it becomes incidental or coincidental, or worse, it becomes of our own doing. God wins a big victory in our life, and we recognize it, and we even give him praise, but a month goes by, or a year, or five years, or ten years, and all of a sudden, we're talking to people, and the reason for your prosperity is because you were so smart, and you connected all the right dots. That's how it comes across, and that's what's spoken of, and that's what you believe in your mind. What was done by God, we have forgot. It's historical revisionism. Are you guys familiar with that term? And that's happening a lot today where history is being rewritten. And as soon as a generation passes away, then there's no one left a standing witness to say, and that's not true. And so you have the colleges infiltrated with new history or corrected history. And here's a, here's a look at um, the Holocaust. Never before, never again. Holocaust revisionism comes to UCLA. But it's prevalent all over the world right now where people are saying the Holocaust never happened. And it's being taught in schools. Six million people didn't die. The, the, the gas chambers weren't real. Um, the, the, the story propagated so that people would sympathize with, this, with the Jewish people or with the Jews. It's being put out there. Terrible. And that's not very far, oh, not too far back. There's still some people living. Listen, can you remember a time in your past when you were certain that God had acted, but now you do not place the proper weight upon that moment? Now you rationalize to yourself that you were probably just emotionally vulnerable or that you were probably over-spiritualizing things at that time. Or things probably would have just worked out anyway. They just happened too, and that was, that was cool. Have you begun to go a step further and think that it was your deliverance, your protection, provision, breakthrough? It was of your own greatness or smartness. We're prone to forget. Why? Do the scriptures adamantly tell people to build memorials and altars and for parents to speak to their kids every single day about the wonders of God that they had seen? Why were they supposed to write them on the doorposts and on the mantles? Why were they supposed to celebrate specific holidays and feasts every year? Why were they supposed to have the Sabbath every single week? So that they would remember and not forget the greatness and the victories of God and him being their source. It was not because they were mighty, the children of Israel, or that they were great. It was that God was great and he had a plan and a purpose. We are prone to forget about God and his work. Over time, we minimize his work. It is not that God has not done great things in his people, but that his people forget so quickly. Do we not feel some conviction like the Holy Spirit right now. Boom. Lord. God seems far off because we've forgotten his nearness. We're drugged up on society, but empty of his love. 
We keep going, 2 Chronicles 16, verse 10. So Hanani speaks to Asa, and he points it out. You've forgotten your source. You've forgotten the wisdom of God. You've accepted the praise of men. And Asa becomes so angry with Hanani for saying this that he threw him into prison and he put him in stocks. At that time, Asa also began to oppress some of his people. Pride coincides with deception when we fail to acknowledge our sin. D. While we love the praise of men, we detest being rebuked. We hate it. I hate it. My kids hate it. Asa does not receive correction, but he turns on the messenger, turns on Hanani. A child of mine does not like being corrected uh, earlier this week by mom, and so the child decided to punish my wife with angry eyes and the silent treatment. When anger is our response to someone's rebuke, we are easily offended. Or when we are easily offended, it's a sure sign of pride. And you know what? I, I don't know who doesn't resist in the moment, right? In the moment when you're called out, it is nearly impossible to say, you are right, and I was absolutely wrong. That's how I always respond to my wife, too. No, I'm offended. And then I think about it for 10 minutes or 20 or three weeks. And, <laughs> and um, so humbling to say sorry, say I was wrong. And the last two years of Asa's reign are a sad story. We see in verse 12 just a continuation of this hardness of heart and this prideful heart. Second Chronicles 16, 12, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. And nothing against the physicians or the doctors. God has called many to be doctors and physicians, but ultimately Asa's first petition and ultimate petition should be to the Lord. How about you? Do you have a chronic pain in your body? Or something? Have you sought out tons of treatment but never said, Lord, will you help me with this? Same with finances, same with relationships. Asa in his old age began to sell God short. His faith redirected to his own resources and wisdom. He valued the recognition of man over the recognition of God. He compromised on where the money should be and what it should be used for. He failed to admit his sin. Rather, he rejected the truths and he believed in the deceptions which stroked his ego. And Asa failed the test of success. And so there's, there's Asa, King Asa. The early years, awesome Asa. <laughs> the late years, not so awesome Asa. And this is replayed for each of the 22 kings in one form or another and different kings, different success levels. Second Chronicles 26, 
three through six. We'll just look at a couple real briefly because we've got to keep moving. <clears throat> Uzziah. Here's a king down the line from Asa. He was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. That is a long presidency. His mother, Jechaliah, from Jerusalem, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. And as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord God, or from the Lord, God gave him success. You see that? As long as he sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. Now skip to verse 15. And in verse 15... <clears throat> It says, his fame spread far and wide, for the Lord gave him marvelous help, and he became very powerful. Uh-oh, there's the success test. There it is. Second Chronicles 26.16, the very next verse, here goes. But when Uzziah had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. Was that a good idea? He probably thought it was. He acted outside his role and his position. He was not a priest. He was not a Levite. In Jewish law, that was, very under, that was clear. That was not his position. He did not have jurisdiction. It was an overstep and overreach. Same as Asa, he's confronted the priests come in and they see him doing this in 2 Chronicles 26, 17 through 20. Azariah, the high priest, went in after him with 80 other priests of, of the Lord, all brave men, very brave, because they would be toast um, if, if the king doesn't humble himself. They confronted King Uzziah and said, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is the work of the priests alone, the descendants of Aaron who are set apart for this work. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have sinned. The Lord God will not honor you for this. Uzziah, who was holding an incense burner, became furious. But as he was standing there, raging at the priests before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. When Azariah the high priest and all the other priests saw the leprosy, they rushed him out. And the king himself was eager to get out because the Lord had struck him. That was actually an act of mercy that God had on Uzziah in giving him leprosy because he had served the Lord so long and, and so well and God was getting his attention and stopping him from further detriment. Okay, come to his senses there. How about in Daniel 5.20? I'm not going to read about the full story of Nebuchadnezzar, but here's, here's um, the summary. Daniel 5.20, but when Nebuchadnezzar's heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. That is a fantastic read on pride when you look at King Nebuchadnezzar. This kingdom that I have built by my own majesty, by my own glory, for my own glory, by my own power. <clears throat> you look at all the kings, you look at Saul. He also tried to do priest's work. He also went on his own mind and not, didn't seek the Lord. He also accepted the praise of people. Joash killed a prophet who tried to correct him. Josiah got involved in matters that didn't concern him. 
It was not God's plan for King Josiah to fight against King Necho of Egypt. Jehoshaphat, he didn't seek God's wisdom. Instead, when uh, in matters of national alliances, aligning with other nations. This is true of individuals. It's also true of nations. Here's a couple examples of nations that grew proud, and this, this scares us a little bit in America. Ezekiel 31, <clears throat> 10 through 11, therefore this is what the sovereign Lord says, because Egypt became proud and arrogant, and because it set itself so high above the others, with its top reaching to the clouds, I will hand it over to a mighty nation that will destroy it, as its wickedness deserves. I have already discarded it. How about Edom? We'll look in, in uh, the book of Obadiah, chapter 1, 2 through 4. The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in rock fortresses. You make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I'll bring you crashing down, says the Lord. It's a warning. How is it that a good king that's fantastic, that is serving the Lord wholeheartedly, how is it that they don't finish well? And listen, this, is, this has been big lately. Guys on Monday nights, we've been talking about this. We are not static beings. We're not unchanging beings. We talked about this on Monday night. We said... We actually kind of, we've become a different person every three years. In a sense, we live 25 lives, if we live to age 75, 25 lives, three-year spans, and we're a different person, like every three years. I, it was sobering for me. I, I talked to a lady um, who was in her 80s and, um, and had a birthday, and I said, you remember, and I had my birthday too about the same time. I said, do you remember what it was like to be 41? And she said, no, not really. And she said, I, I know what occupation I was in. And, and that was sobering for me because I thought, it's true. it's true. I mean, I know some of the friends that I had when I was a kid. And I knew who my teacher was, but it's really it's really vague and faint, dim. Not the same person I was then. I'm another person. And we're constantly changing. Why is it so important for us to stay connected to the Lord and to abide in God, abide in the Lord? I want all my persons, I want all 25 of my persons to serve the Lord. I don't want some of the latter ones to stop serving the Lord to stop relying on the Lord. I already, I already feel more tired and less energetic than I did when I was younger, but I still desire to, as a weaned child, rely on the Lord, seek the Lord. Help me, Lord. <clears throat> Don't rely on your past, but rely on a constant connection to God. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Have you guys seen... This is troubling. It's troubling for people when they see a great man of faith, right? 
a rock-solid man of God who is filled with the Spirit of God speak a timely word in due season, and you're like, that guy nailed it. I felt God, and God grew my faith through that person. And then two years later, you see something terribly wrong in that man's life. And it throws you for a loop because you're like, he was such a great man of God. How is he? It's because we're different people. Every three years, every two years. Don't rely on your past. I know great men who put it on cruise control. Spiritually, they dried up. They're only a shell of what they once were. And we can dry up pretty quickly. Don't put spiritual leaders on a pedestal. Follow them only as far as they follow Christ. They might have nailed it last year. It doesn't mean that they're walking in the spirit now. Even Paul said, I mean, he's the one that said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. He also said, I can become a castaway pretty quickly. I can become disqualified, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might be disqualified. Paul wanted all of his persons, all of his lives to serve the Lord. Put Jesus on the pedestal. This was great. In the men's group, one of the guys said, we got to keep wood on the fire. He says, we got to keep wood. Don't let the, I mean, it can go out and it can still be hot for a while, the stove, or feel hot. But we got to get wood on the fire. We got to keep, the Holy Spirit reminds us, uh, we need him daily, no coasting. Don't want to wither up. I want to do what Pastor Bob says, uh, finish strong, finish strong. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too awesome or profound for me. But like a weaned child, I calm, I quiet myself, calm myself. As a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, trust in the Lord, both now and forever. Number three, pride stopped, averted by devotion. How do we keep from becoming proud? How do we act as David did? And he wrote that psalm. Here are four things, and it's almost the inverse of what we just looked at. A, the first way is to ask God for advice. Even when we know the answers, even when we think we know the answers, to ask God for advice. We're going to observe him doing that in just a moment. Remember King Asa, he asked God for help in the first war, but not the second. Importance of abiding, sub-point. encourage you guys to read John 15. It talks about staying connected to the Lord, abiding in him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. <clears throat> He's our source. We stay plugged in. David is the one who wrote Psalm 131, and here's uh, his example. Uh, actually, let's look at 2 Samuel 5, 17 through 25. Shortly after David became king, it says, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told they were coming, so he went into the stronghold. The Philistines arrived, and they spread out across the valley of Rephraim. So David asked the Lord, Should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? You see the inquiry? You see the asking? The Lord replied to David, Yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. 
So David went to Baal Perizim, and he defeated the Philistines there. The Lord did it, David exclaimed. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. No, David, you did it. You and your strong men, you did it. David says, the Lord did it. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So he named the place Baal Perizim, which means the Lord who bursts through. The Philistines had abandoned their idols there, so David and his men confiscated them. But after a while, the Philistines returned and again spread out across the valley of Rephraim. What enemies? Same enemies. Philistines. Where did they assemble? The valley of Rephraim. Same valley. Same valley. And again, David asked the Lord what to do. That's where David and I differ. It's like, I've been here before. I've done this. I know how to do this. I don't need to ask God again because I have experience. David asked the Lord. Is that profoundly mature spiritually that he asked the Lord what to do? Why did he do that? He was connected to the source. He was abiding. Do not atta- he did not forget history either. Do not attack them straight on, the Lord replied. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, be on the alert. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from uh, Gibeon to Gezar. Same enemy, same valley, yet David inquires of the Lord. He trusts in the Lord. God was his commanding officer. We often become emboldened in our successes to the point of not needing God. We become self-sufficient in our degrees, our experiences, and the praise we receive. I faced this enemy before in this location. I know what to do, so forth. How did David respond when he's tested with success? And how do we stop pride from monopolizing our hearts? The second way to prevent the rising of pride is to give glory to God. And we see him doing that. I'm sure he was praised by his men when they defeated the Philistines like they did that first time. Wow. Here's the new king, and man, is he good. David is all that he was cracked up to be. He is so good. He does not celebrate his own greatness. He is great at pivoting. David, you read the Psalms, David can pivot on a dime and give thanks to the Lord and recognize um, The Lord is his strong tower, his salvation, his strength. By my God, I run through a troop, uh, David says. Doesn't celebrate his own greatness, celebrates the Lord's. The Lord did it. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. Praising God and thanking him serves as a pride preventative and a pride antibody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Subpoint, importance of identity. You guys can read Psalm 18 on your own, but that's one of many psalms where David is recognizing who he is in the Lord, giving glory to God. And um, he is so good at pivoting. We need to learn how to do it and learn how to do it in effective ways. Um, I'd encourage you to take the praise challenge in the next couple days. 
to sit down and just think of the day prior and say, what can I thank God for about yesterday? And, and this happened to me a couple weeks ago, and I took time to do that. And first I thought of nothing. And then after a couple minutes, I thought of one thing. And then after a couple more minutes, I thought about three things, then five, then ten things, specific things that I failed to give God thanks for. Men and women in the Bible who stand the test of time, they have a common denominator. They remember to give glory to God. We could look at a whole bunch of them. We're just going to skip a couple pages. Third way to prevent pride from creeping in is to remember and do not forget. Psalm 103, 1 through 2. Here's a psalm of David, one of many. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Don't forget who he is. Don't forget what he's done. Don't forget his principles. Don't forget his promises. Don't forget it. And he, he wrote song after song after song, and those were memorials, subpoint, importance of memorials. Journal entries David had, ongoingly making songs, journal entries, so he would not forget. Time goes by, and once we once, what we once thanked God for, we begin to take credit for. We talked about that. Deuteronomy 8, you guys can read that one, but that's the call for the children of Israel to... Remember and do not forget. That term is throughout that chapter and how they're supposed to do that. Do not forget that he led you through the great wilderness. Do not forget that he fed you with manna in the wilderness. Do not forget. Do not. Um, he did all this so that you would never say to yourself, I've achieved this wealth by my own strength and energy. In verse 18 of Deuteronomy 8, it says, Remember the Lord your God. He's the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant. I'm going to skip ahead a little more. 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul was plugged in all the time, and he recognized something. When you're plugged into God, God gives you perspective, and he puts passions in your heart, desires that you wouldn't have otherwise, to do things that you wouldn't do otherwise. And he gives you the strength necessary in your body to fulfill those passions or those desires or those thoughts or ideas that he puts in your mind or in your heart. And Paul recognized that because look at it almost seems like he's bragging at first in this verse, but look at it. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. He's talking about all the other disciples. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. He, didn't take, he couldn't take any credit. He said, God gives me an idea or he gives me a passion and strength to do something, and it amazes me. It amazes me. Fourth step we need to take in battling pride is to, if you guessed it on the inverse, it's accept correction. And a great example of that with David, 2 Samuel 12, 14, the prophet Nathan. David had been out of bounds 
and uh, had sinned against the Lord, against Uriah. And Nathan said to David, you are that man. You are wrong, guilty. The Lord God of Israel says, points it out. And um, in verse 13, David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I'm glad he didn't throw Nathan in prison or kill Nathan. I'm glad he said, I have sinned. Subpoint: importance of repentance. You can see David's full repentance in Psalm 51. You read that chapter after he had committed adultery and murdered a man, David. And being called out and really repenting, not just because he got caught, but we see a heartfelt sorrow and a desire to be close to the Lord in Psalm 51. Godly sorrow. Lord, we thank you for today. We praise you, Lord. You're so good to us, and you are a source we recognize that. Lord, we see pride, Lord, as an ongoing issue our whole life, Lord, and every person deals with it, and all of us, Lord, on a day-to-day uh, have to deal with it, Lord. We can embrace it, or we can recognize our identity in you and stay close to you and stay plugged in, continue to seek you our whole life, all of our lives. God, we can uh, give praise to you. We can remember what you've done, Lord. We can receive correction. Help us, each of us, Lord. To do that, we might stay in the right state, Lord. And as a weaned child, Lord, we could say like David, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. We trust in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.